I'm going to tell you a gross story, and it's gross in a couple of ways. You've been warned. So back when I was in high school, on a particular winter night, the wrestling team had an away match somewhere. I don't remember where, but, um, you know, the whole team loads up on the bus for the hour, hour and a half drive. And there was one guy, um, I think he was a grade below me, and he wasn't feeling great. But, you know, there's like that pressure to, like, show up, perform, you know, be there for the team kind of thing. So he's like, that's fine, I'll, I'll go, I'll probably be fine, and, and he goes and decides he's going to sleep the bus trip away to hopefully feel better by the time he gets there, and as he's sleeping, it turns out he didn't just have a cold or the sniffles or something like that, he had the stomach flu, and as he's sleeping in his, and he's feverishly moaning, he begins to go to the bathroom uncontrollably on the bus, and he's completely unaware of it because he's sleeping, but Everybody else is very aware of it, and the smell soon overtakes the bus, and the ruckus of all the screaming and everything wakes him up. He realizes what's going on. They stop the bus, and he goes outside, and it's the biggest, most horrible thing ever, you know, and very memorable, of course. Um, and I wasn't on the wrestling team, and I, get, I know way too many details about that night because the second reason the story's gross, the first reason hopefully was obvious why it's gross, the second reason it's gross is because like everybody in my high school thought that story was hilarious. And you know, I was right there with everybody. Everybody's telling it. Everybody thinks it's so funny. Everybody thinks that story, that, the, that unfortunate night, that story that could have happened to literally anybody, any one of us, you know, we told that over and over again, and we let it be the story that, like, defined that guy. I felt terrible in hindsight. At the time, I don't think I had any sympathy, or I think I was emotionally incapable of compassion, apparently, at that point in my life. Um, but I look back, and I feel bad, because he got a couple bathroom-related nicknames out of that, and, you know, he was, like, that was the story, again, it defined him, because anytime somebody brought up his name, and someone was like, Who's that? He's like, oh, the bathroom kid on the bus. Oh, yeah, I know him. Like, that was his thing. That was all he was known for in high school. And, and, you know, nobody cared about his grades. Nobody cared if he was a smart kid. Nobody cared if he tried hard. Nobody knew, cared if he was kind or nice or helpful or, you know, helped some, the person who dropped their books down the stairs. Nobody cared about that because he was just that wrestler that had the horrible, horrible, terrible luck on the bus. And, and it's strange the things that we let define us, the things that we let determine our self-worth, and that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue this series, Free of Me. Um, and we want to, in this series, the goal of this series is to help all of us become free from what I think most of us suffer from, which is a very self-focused perspective. The reason why everyone in my high school thought that was funny was because it wasn't us. Like, we only cared about whether or not we look dumb, whether or not we look stupid, and anytime anybody else looks stupid, we could kind of enjoy it because if it was them, it wasn't me. If somebody's laughing at them, they're not laughing at me. And so we, we kind of base our self-worth and our determination, our self-worth and our value on what's going on around us, on the things that we've done that we succeed at, the things that we do that we fail at, on the opinions of others is a huge thing that we base our self-worth on. I mean, I remember in high school, like, I cared deeply what other people said and thought. I still kind of struggle with that as a, an adult. You know, it's like, what do I, you know, what do I care about what other people think? You know, it's like, I'm an adult, and I, like, pay bills, and I'm a responsible human being, and I haven't been arrested. Well, it's been a while since I've been arrested, <laughs> okay? 
There's a story. I'm so sorry. If you don't know that, please, there's, it's a long time ago. I did some dumb, dumb, I did a dumb thing. One night, a dumb thing. Anyway, so, my mother-in-law's cringing over here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, we base our identities on those bad moments or those good moments when we feel super good about ourselves. Or if everybody says something bad about us, we base our opinions on ourselves and our self-worth on what people have said. So if they don't like us, then we don't like ourselves. You know, if people are, if you become that guy that everyone only knows for that one horrible moment on the bus, that's the moment that defines you. And you feel terrible about yourself because the only thing that matters is that you made a fool of yourself in front of everyone. But if you have a successful moment in life at work or at home or something, well, then that's the thing that defines you because people gave you pats on the back and it boosted you up and now you feel great. Um, we have people, I know people, and maybe you do too, who, who grew up with parents that told them for decades that they were worthless and unlovable. And after hearing it so long, that's what they believed about themselves. They think, if my own mom wouldn't love me, then nobody's going to love me. I'm unlovable. We let those outward things determine who we are, what we're worth, and it determines our identity. One of the big ones, I think, sometimes is, you know, when we do something sinful, something that we know is wrong or hurtful to somebody else, that defines us as, Dirty, defiled, guilty, uh, <coughs> excuse me, as shameful. And we walk through life with this cloud over us as we feel like we're never going to get over that mistake of our past. And so today, I just want to get past that. Today, we're going to talk about how do we find something better to kind of hang our identity on? What is it that we can hang our, our, our self-worth on that's better than what people are saying? It's better than what we think about ourselves? It's better than maybe the momentary successes and momentary failures? What can we, what, what is it that's more stable? Because one thing we said last week was that we are all kind of on this quest for meaning and purpose. And, and one of the things we that we end up doing when we're all worried about how we look at ourselves, or do we have meaning, do we have worth, do we have value, am I lovable, am I a person that others can care about, we are kind of trying to scrape together things that make us feel okay about ourselves. And if you are good at scraping enough things together that can make you feel good, if you're successful in that, then you can get prideful and think, I'm awesome, I'm really great. If you fail at scraping together enough things that determine your worth, then you end up with low self-esteem, and I'm not worth it, and I've got nothing to, to live for, and you get these horrible thoughts that way. One thing we said in the first week of the series was that a lot of people think pride and low self-esteem are opposites. I don't think they are. I think they are just two different symptoms of the same disease, a self-obsessed quest for meaning and validation and, and hope and love that we matter in our lives. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to go to uh, the, the letter of 1 Corinthians. We started in a passage last week. We're going to go right back into that passage, and we're probably going to go back there next week. There's so much in here. So if you want to grab a Bible, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this time, starting in verse 3. If you missed last week, let me quickly tell you what's going on in this particular passage because it makes all the difference in the world. Basically, there's a guy named Paul. Paul traveled the, the ancient Roman world, planting churches all over the place. And he would stay at a church for a while. After he planted it, kind of teach them, raise up some leaders, and then he would move along to plant another church. But he would write letters back to these other churches that he had planted once he was gone to give them additional guidance and additional teaching. 
And so one particular church in Corinth, Greece, Paul planted and he has moved on. Now, one thing that was cool was Paul wasn't the only guy doing this, and so there was a couple other good teachers who came to Corinth and to teach at the church. One was a guy named Apollos. Cool name, right? All I think of is Rocky and Apollo Creed, but that's okay. Um, it's the only other Apollo-ish name I know. Um, but, so Apollos was one of the teachers who came through that church. Another one was the Apostle Peter. If you know the Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus' life, um, that was uh, Jesus' right-hand man. And so they had these really good teachers come through to help bless the church and, and do good things there, and then they would move along. And so Paul, Apollos, and Peter were all on the same team. They were all doing the same work. They wanted to come to a church, bless them with their teaching, help more people come to know Jesus, help more people find salvation, and more people grow in their faith. They were all doing the same thing. But what the weird, petty Christians at Corinth did was they kind of decided to find something to fight about, and they would pick their favorite teacher. So some of them said, Paul's my favorite teacher. Some said, Apollos is my favorite teacher. And some said, Peter's my favorite teacher. And then they decided that... Since Peter or Paul's my guy, I'm not going to listen to those other guys. Paul's the only guy to listen to. And they started fighting about who's the best teacher, who's worthless, who's the only person I'm going to listen to. And so they're fighting back and forth. And so you got a group of people that love Paul, and then you got a couple groups of people that don't like Paul at all. And so when Paul picks up in our story today, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, he's kind of talking about how he handles all that noise that's going on. How does he handle... Some people telling him they love him in one ear, and then a lot more people tell him he's worthless and he's hated and he's not worthy of washing their underwear in the other ear. How does he manage that criticism and that praise? How's he going to handle that, and does it matter to him? Does it affect how he thinks of himself as an apostle, as a minister of Christ? So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Paul says this, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. So Paul says two things here. The first thing that Paul says is that others' opinions of me don't matter. Others' opinions of me don't matter, which I think is an impressive thing because I've heard a lot of people say that. Haven't you you ever heard somebody say, I don't care what people think? I've heard a lot of people say it. I haven't believed a single person yet when they've said that. Because what people say about you, it feels so heavy. It feels so final. It feels so significant when everyone's like, you're the worst. You are awful. Or you're cruel when someone tries to vilify you for a situation. Or maybe they just tell you, you're bad at your job. I know for guys, like, we place a lot of our value in how we do at work. And for someone to tell you that you failed there, man, that can make you go home feeling like you're just trash. You know, even if you've got a good family, a good wife, good kids to go home to, for a lot of us, man, that can really carry a lot of weight. And because we care about people's opinions, we want to raise their opinions of us. And we will do silly things to raise people's opinions of us. I remember in college, um, I never really struggled with this until college. I started telling lies all the time, but not big lies, mind you. Like insignificant lies that don't matter. So someone would come up to me, for instance, and say, hey, did you see that movie? Yep. I hadn't seen the movie. You know, it's like, but why did I do that? Why did I tell a lie? What does it matter if I've seen Napoleon Dynamite or not? Like, that, by the way, that was the cool movie that, like, everybody on campus had watched when I was in college. If you haven't watched it or don't know what it is, you ain't missing much. Carry on with your life, okay? <laughs> Some of you are offended by that, and I don't, <laughs> hey, that's another sermon for another day, but good grief. 
Napoleon Dynamite. But anyway, but I didn't want to be, but I didn't want to be a weirdo, like the only weirdo on campus who hadn't seen the movie, so I'd lie. Why? Because I, I just wanted people to like me and to think, you know, that I wasn't that weird person. And so I would just tell these insignificant little lies. It would come out of my mouth before I even had time to think because I cared what people thought about me. Other silly examples. Um, <clears throat> one time my brother got a haircut, and this was years ago when he had hair. And I hope he watches this. And so he got a haircut. And you know how when they do cut, give you a haircut, they not only cut it, but then, like, they kind of style it when you're done? Well, the haircut was okay. But when the lady styled it at the end, she made it, like, real poofy and weird. Now, this was back in, like, the 90s when that was sort of okay, but it was too much for my brother. And so he's kind of feeling weird driving home and, and, and insecure and stuff about it, hoping nobody sees him. And so he pulls in our driveway. And um, my mom has always done fingernails out of our house, and he recognized the car of her customer that was in the driveway as a pretty young girl that he had known from school or somewhere else or work. I don't know how he knew her, but he recognized that. And so my brother gets to the, f- the, the door of our house, to, goes into our back porch. He slides the sliding glass door open, and army crawls through the back porch into a side door so that he can go through my parents' bedroom and into the bathroom to wash his hair and do it normal so that nobody sees him looking foolish. Now, why would he break into his own home, sneak through like he's trying to rob all the jewelry or something, you know? Why would he do that? Because he cared what people think. We do silly things when we care what people think. One time, some friends of mine uh, started kind of a impromptu wrestling match and and you know how guys are, you know, when you're in high school and college. Like, it starts out good fun, but it turns serious real quick, you know, and everyone's, like, in it for blood. And, and so they're all wrestling. And one of my friends, my friend Ryan, his younger brother was there. He's about four years younger than us. And, and he's like, I want in. You know, I want in. And so he's wanting to, like, you know, puff up his chest and impress the older guys. And so he starts wrestling somebody that he didn't have a prayer against. Like, it was this guy who's, like, 6'5 and gigantic, you know, and and. Eventually, the big guy gets little guy in an arm bar, which is when your arm's out like that, you know? And he so wanted to impress us. He so wanted to prove that he was tough. He's not going to tap out. And I watched him hold on until his elbow got bent backwards. And it was like, like everybody freaks out at that moment. Like, no, everybody's done wrestling when, when the little kid's arm goes backwards, right? But it was like, why would he endure that? Why did he let it get to that point? He should have tapped out long before that. Well, he cared what we thought. He wanted to impress us. I mean, there's so many examples of this. This is why um, some people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on a four-year education to get a job that they don't really even want because mom and dad have told them their whole life that's what they were going to be. Because they care about what other people think. It's such a huge thing. And so when Paul says, I don't care what other people think, part of me is like, yeah, right, Paul. But you know what? I think he means it. And that's the weirdest thing. That's the craziest thing is that Paul has kind of found this way that's better. Because most of us know, don't we, that we shouldn't care what other people think. I mean, we all kind of have that realization. How many of you are parents who had a kid come home from from school one day upset because the kids made fun of him and you said what does it matter what they think don't base your your opinion on those kids at school the ones that are mean their opinion doesn't matter we know that there's a better way to live than caring about what everybody thinks we know it's a dangerous way to live we know it's an unhealthy way to live and so paul shows us i got past that i got past that i don't care what other people think about me and then paul says something else that is so incredibly bizarre, that is so off our radar that most of us don't even know how to handle it. Here's what he says. He says, even my own opinion of myself doesn't matter. Now, here's why that's weird. Because when we tell people 
Don't worry about what they said about you. Don't worry about their opinion of you. What do we usually turn it to? The only thing that matters is what you think about yourself. That's the direction that we almost universally go. We tell people, you've just got to be happy with your life. You've just got to please yourself. All that matters is if you're content and satisfied in your own heart about the direction and the choices you've made. And so we have, as a culture, kind of said, yeah, don't worry about what other people think. Only worry about pleasing and convincing yourself. One of the most simple ways you'll hear this in our culture is someone will say, you do you. Don't worry about them, girl. You do you. And so why... Worry about other people. Don't. Just worry about what you think. But Paul says, no, 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 even that's a trap. You worrying about yourself, even that's a trap. You thinking that you can even accurately judge yourself is a trap. Here's what he says next in verse 4. He says, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Meaning, he says, you know, when I was at Corinth, I don't think I did anything wrong there. When I visited you guys, I think I acted exactly the right way. I feel completely innocent in my behavior around you, but you know what? Just because I feel innocent doesn't mean, make me innocent. Just because I don't think I did anything wrong doesn't mean I didn't offend somebody, hurt somebody, or do something unintentionally wrong. Um, he's saying that you don't always have the right ability, the clear sight, to judge yourself accurately. For instance, Hitler might have felt totally innocent about what he was doing in the 40s. Does that make him innocent? No, he might have had a total clear conscience about those millions of Jews he was eradicating from the world, but that doesn't mean it was the right thing to do because we as human beings, we have an unlimited capacity for self-deception. And so you've known people who talked about how great they were all the time when you're sitting there thinking, they're not that great. They're not that talented. They can't sing the way they think they can sing. They're never going to get an album deal. I know that for sure. Haven't they ever seen the first two weeks of American Idol? Like, you wonder. You, like, they talk a big game, and you're like, but they're not. You know that their self-assessment is flawed. And at the same time, on the flip side, you've heard people who talked about how awful they were. I'm just the worst. I have no skills. I have no talents. I just uh, I can't do anything right. And you're watching them, and you're like, are you kidding me? You're the most talented person I know. How can you be so insecure? You can do everything. I wish I had half the talent you had. And yet, just because... You think you're awesome or you think you're worthless. That does not make your assessment of yourself accurate. And that's what Paul is telling us. He said, worrying about what other people think is, is a trap. But worrying about what you think can also be a trap. So then that leads us to what's left. What do we hang our self-worth on? What do we hang our identity on? What is it in this world as we're walking around craving meaning, craving value? What is the thing that's going to give it to us? And he tells us at the second half of verse 4. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. He says, the only opinion that matters to him is the opinion of Christ Jesus. The only opinion of himself, the only judgment that matters is that of Christ Jesus. No matter how big the other opinions are in your life. And, and one thing Paul says that he uses the, the word judgment language. You know, is the Lord who judges me. And earlier he says, it's a small thing that you would judge me or that I would be judged by any other human court. He uses these courtroom terms because I think that's how big other people's assessments of us feel sometimes. It feels like the, the final word. I mean, I remember at certain points in my life when somebody said something negative about me, man, it might as well have been God's truth to me. I believed it 100%. It felt like the final assessment of my life. I'm worthless. I'm a loser. I'm going bald. No one's ever going to marry me. <laughs> you know, I felt those moments when it felt like, like someone, like a judge was slamming down the gavel going, Anthony, you're a loser. You know, that's what it felt like. And so Paul says, these big, monstrous judgments that you feel, none of them matter. The only one that matters is that of Christ. And so... 
instead of valuing other people's opinions of you, instead of letting your pride or your low self-esteem determine your own opinion of you, there's something better. Paul just skips the game of human judgment altogether. He's not even going to play like that. And here's why it's so much better. Here's why Paul looks to Jesus instead. Because what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, it silences all of those voices. It silences all of that other noise. It stops that endless scrambling to impress other people and convince yourself that you matter. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he took every sin that I have committed and that you have committed on his perfect self. He took every horrible, rotten, disgusting, vile, intentionally awful thing we've ever done away from us onto himself. And he died to pay the price for it, to wipe our slate clean, to kill our criminal record of sin, to wipe it away. And in that moment, when he took our sin away, he gave us his record of righteousness and purity. So that now I stand before God not being judged on my life's work, on my successes and my failures. I stand before God the Father being judged on what Christ has done, on how Christ has lived. I can stand before God as a believer in Christ, perfect, pure, and holy, even that is, though that is not the life that I have lived. And so, one of the most beautiful verses, it's so short and sweet, but it goes along with our, th- this idea of judgment that, Christ ke- or that Paul keeps talking about in Romans 8.1. It says, therefore, there is now no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know how much condemnation is flying around at you all the time? How many people have said rude things to you that your life told you you weren't worth it, you weren't good enough, certain things, that you were a bad friend for that thing you did or whatever? Do you know how many times you've sat there and, and felt in your heart, I don't matter, you've condemned yourself, but it says, for those of us who are in Christ, there's no more condemnation. There's no more of that, that I don't matter. There's no more of that desire to, to, to determine your worth and your value because the cross of Christ determines that for you. I don't have to decide whether I matter. Jesus proved that I matter when he stepped out of heaven and came into this world to live a life and die for me. He proved that I was worth saving. I don't have to wonder whether or not I'm lovable because Jesus proved his love for me when he came and died on the cross. I don't have to feel defiled and ashamed because of my past because Jesus takes it all away and gives me a fresh, clean slate. What Jesus' judgment does of his followers, his judgment is that you and I are righteous, free, forgiven, and saved. And here's why that matters. Because we don't have to spend our whole life looking at ourselves, wondering, do I have meaning? Do I matter? Is anybody ever going to care for me? Because the answer is an automatic yes in Christ. That means the matter that I've been scrambling for, that all that thing that makes me think, oh, I hope people like me, and oh, I hope I've I got to convince myself that I matter, all that endless scrambling I've been doing my whole life, it's done. The matter can be put to rest because the final judgment of Christ answers everything in the way that I ever wanted it to be answered. Yes, I matter. Yes, I'm valued. And so I can take that scrambling, that question, that pursuit, and put it to rest. And I can finally lift my head up from the self-focused, self-obsessed quest of meaning that I've been on my whole life, and I can finally start to live in the world around me. Not just letting my world end at the tip of my nose, because that's as far as I've been able to see for a long time. In Christ, you matter. In Christ, you are loved. In Christ, you have value. And so you don't have to worry about the world revolving around you anymore because you know what? It doesn't. 
and it never did. You just thought it did for a long time, and that's the only world you knew. And so they're, whoever's been bad-mouthing you or telling you you're awesome your whole life, their judgments don't matter. All that voice inside your head telling you you're awesome or you don't matter, that doesn't matter anymore. Those can be silenced because the only verdict, the only judgment, the only assessment that matters is Christ's. Now, I'm someone who has always cared about what people think of me. I think I said that already, and, and I still struggle with that. I mean, someone gives me a compliment after church, I'm like, yeah, all right. Someone, and and I, but when you struggle with this, you know, the, the, uh, when you struggle with what people think, the praises feel a little bigger than they should, and the critiques feel a little bigger than they should, and they hurt more than they should. And I've struggled with that my whole life, and I, I don't feel like I'm close to getting over it just yet, but here's what I do. Here's what I have to do. When I feel either pride welling up inside of me, telling me I'm better than I am, or whether I feel that dejected voice when I go home, and oh, somebody didn't like the sermon, or oh, say I fell asleep again, oh, man. You know, whatever it is, I'm going home feeling and thinking. I have to tell myself, I have to kind of preach a sermon to myself, like Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and I have to tell myself that the only judgment that really matters is Christ's. It's a little sermon I got to preach to myself all the time, whether I'm getting too big for my britches or whether I'm feeling awful about myself. Now, what we're going to do next week is we're going to start to unpack exactly why Jesus' judgment is better. We're going to really get into that and talk to explain why it's so much better and why you should trust it above anything else that you're ever going to hear in your life. But this week, all I want you to do, if you've ever struggled with caring about what people think, anytime this week you feel that little voice inside of you start to worry or start to wonder how you look or certain things like that, just preach that little sermon to yourself. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and the only judgment that matters is Christ's. i got to preach it to myself over and over and over again. But that doesn't make it any less true. Because I know the pursuit of wondering what everybody else thinks, that gets me nowhere. That gets me nowhere. But it makes me curl in on myself and think about me and only me. But when I can trust that Christ's judgment is all that matters, and that I am loved, and I am cared for, and I have a purpose and meaning in my life, I can put myself to the side and discover the freedom of self-forgetfulness and actually enjoy the life that he has given me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here today and grateful for the truth of your word, the truth that says we matter and that we are valued. And you don't tell us that so that we can celebrate how great we are. You tell us that and you show us your love, your unending, unshakable love. You show us that so that we can put this matter to rest in our lives so that we don't have to keep coming back over and over again wondering whether or not we matter. We, can, we don't have to keep coming to that, back to that courtroom of judgment that we confine ourselves in wondering what other people think and worrying about the thoughts that roll around in our own heads. We can leave the courtroom of our selfishness and we can be free to live the life that you've put there. We can actually care about other people and serve other people, not worrying about how we're going to look, what people are going to think, but we can Wonder about what you think and what you want for our lives and the direction you have for us. So help us not be selfish. Help us to be free of ourselves. Help us to experience the freedom of self-forgetfulness, to experience true biblical humility as you truly want for us. As we're not selfish people, we're not navel gazers, we're not people who can't see past the tip of our nose, but we're people with a true outward focus on the life that you called us to live. A life lived inward is a very small, small thing. But there is power when you free us from that and we can live the life of purpose that you've destined us for. So may we be people who are free of ourselves so that we can look out and carry out your mission 
on this planet. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.